is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with the $250,000 2017 Football Guys Players Championship winners, Michael Apt and Justin Smiley. In this episode, we discuss what players they already have significant shares of as they prepare to defend their title, how they're handling Josh Gordon in drafts, and what trends they're seeing in 2018 FPC leagues that weren't there last season. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel as well. Now, without further ado, here are $250,000 high stakes fantasy football champs, Michael Apt and Justin Smiley. Very happy this week to, as we're in the midst of drafting season, like we're, we're coming up on the height of it really within the next couple of weeks. And I'm talking with uh, the two winners of the $250,000 grand prize in the Football Guys Players Championship in 2017, uh, Michael Apt. I, Michael, I'm pronouncing that right. You are correct. And that's what I thought. And then, of course, Justin Smiley, congratulations once again to both of you guys. We have so much to talk about with uh, fantasy football. Before we get into that, Michael, go ahead and tell the listeners uh, what you do when you're not playing high-stakes fantasy football, and then we want to hear uh, uh, what you do, Justin. Sure. So I uh, I work in uh, real estate here in uh, kind of the metro Detroit area. I've uh, been selling locally for about 15 years, um, you know, helping people buy and sell houses. It's kind of uh, kind of my other passion besides football. Um, really just love helping people, you know, move, you know, in and out uh, of the area and uh, kind of, you know, doing that on the side with football. Those are my two, two things. Yeah, and for me, um, I live in the LA area came out here about 10 years ago and I've been working as a musician and recently also completing my master's in clinical psychology. So I am probably going to be transitioning into a career as a marriage and family therapist. People always ask me, what does it take to win a six figure prize in high stakes fantasy football? Clearly you need roots planted in the Midwest as well as the West coast. And when you add real estate, clinical psych, uh, psychology and, uh, music, I think that was the perfect blend of what it took to get it done in 2017. I think you nailed it. There's, there's really <laughs> yeah. no other way to do it other than that. <laughs> Justin, uh, actually, Michael, let, let's kick things off with you. I just mentioned the massive season, uh, massive ending to the season, especially that you guys had last year. 250K, what can you tell the listeners about what you remember watching that final uh, weekend of action in Week 16? Yeah, it was really kind of a, a surreal process uh, going going through it. Um, we knew going into the weekend we had a shot. I think we were sitting somewhere in like fourth place at the time um i mean we're rolling a team with bell Gurley, ingram Dion lewis jarvis landry i mean we we had you know all the primetime guys the guys that were blowing up so we knew it was a realistic shot um but it, it came really real on actually christmas day when it was uh, philadelphia playing oakland in the final game of week 16 and we had a dodge zach Ertz. i think we were up by about 23.6 or like 23.9 something like that 
And uh, we knew Ertz was coming for us. And uh, by by halftime, I thought we were toast because I think Ertz put up like 17 of the 23 he needed. And in this scoring format where it's one and a half points for tight end scoring for a, a catch, we, we knew we were kind of up against it. And the, the, the moon's aligned. God was on our side. Call it what you want. But in the second half, the Philly offense just fell apart and Ertz just couldn't get it done. And here we are sitting at the uh, at the end of the table with the the two hundred fifty dollar or two hundred fifty grand prize, and it was just surreal. That's that's the only way I can describe it. Hey, you know, Justin, you guys uh, have have already moving to twenty eighteen. Um, you guys have already started your title defense um, in the Football Guys Players Championship. Have you found yourselves owning one player or maybe a few players on a bunch of teams already, or are you guys pretty well diversified as far as your talent goes? Um, there's definitely some players who we found owning on a bunch of teams. Um, I think I think for starters, a guy that we've really been targeting is Amari Cooper. And we, we've been interested in Cooper since really the end of last year. And, I mean, it, it just hasn't changed. We, we've seen him hang out around fourth round for the real early drafting, which was great value. And he's moved up to the third now, but we're still perfectly happy taking him just because, I mean, we wouldn't be surprised to see him finish above most of the receivers that are taken before him. It's not that it's a sure thing, but I mean, he, he's got the ability and, and he's got a good offense, good coach. So we love Amari Cooper in the third and if, in the fourth, if you can get him. And then also also Jarvis Landry. I mean, he, he was a mainstay of our teams last year and finished as wide out seven overall. Four points out of a top five finish, beat out Julio Jones, beat out A.J. Green. And for some reason, he's hanging out there in the fifth and the sixth round, despite being in a place now that he's actually seems to be happier about. So, you know, we like both those players. They've ended up on a lot of our teams. Yeah, it's interesting because... You- you, we always hear about the partnerships and, and the, the co-managers that work out when you know we're doing the high-stakes fantasy football or the high-stakes lowdown when we have these guys who have played together for a while, had a lot of success. A lot of times we don't hear the ones about the ones that don't work out, that, that don't bring home uh, you know, six-figure grand prizes. And, and a lot of partnerships in the, in the high-stakes industry as far as co-managing, they fall apart. Michael, when, when it comes to you and Justin – Tell us not only how were you able to grind out the 2017 season and, and reach that summit last year as a team, but how, how have you guys been able, as, as long as you guys have been managing teams, how has it worked out so well for you? Like, what's, what's the key to the success there? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is that there's a foundation of a friendship that's you know, been going on for 30-plus years right now between us. Um, you know, so you just have a good base. Uh, we, you know, we talk to each other every day. And, and to me, you know, a lot of partnerships fail because when money gets involved, people do some weird or goofy things. And, and when it comes down to that, yeah, the money's great, but friendships to me are a little bit more important. And I, you know, I treat Justin like a, like a brother and he does in reverse with me. So, you know, it's really built on a good foundation and a good footing. Um, You know, as far as grinding out the season, going back to that question, we were just really methodical about all of our teams going through. We set aside times every Tuesday, every Wednesday to do waiver adjustments, waiver moves, make sure we had all of our blind bidding in appropriately, make sure that we're doing all of our you know lineups on Thursday and then again on Sunday. So we really just dedicated ourselves, you know, kind of treat it like 
uh, a job in a sense, you know, set aside, schedule time, make sure that you're there, you're active, you're doing it. Because quite frankly, we wouldn't have hit that summit if we weren't actively on the waiver wire. Uh, one of our big pickups was Jack Doyle. It was a huge success story for us uh, coming through with the uh, with the grand prize win. When uh, yeah, Justin, you alluded to this this earlier. When it comes to Josh Gordon, there's man, so much so much that's unknown. We're we're not really sure exactly what's going on. I, I guess we haven't really heard the ultimate you know negative of he is suspended and, and he's done. Uh, we all, we also haven't heard, oh, he's in the clear, this is all good, and he's at training camp, but we're sort of in the middle right now. So uh, there, there's a lot of uh, moving pieces uh, to that. We, we heard the news this week that, uh, or this past week, that um, the Browns have reached out to Des Bryant and talked to him. So that's that certainly can't be great for Gordon. I know you guys have been um, uh, targeting Jarvis Landry and obviously taking advantage of, of getting a, a high-volume target guy like him in the fifth and sixth round. But specifically as it relates to Josh Gordon, are you guys just avoiding him right now at his price? Or, I mean, is he going to become a value at some point? Yeah, for us, um, we, we are actually avoiding him at the price that he's at. We, we haven't, even before the recent news that came out, I mean, we, have, we don't have a single team with Josh Gordon on it. And it's not that we don't think he has a really high ceiling because he does, but with the guys that you have to pass on to get them in round three. And even now there's some round three uh, Josh Gordon picks and round four, certainly it's just too high of a price tag for us with the other guys that you can get in those positions. We just prefer to have the safety of whatever is looming over Josh Gordon, not looming over him. And I'm just thinking about like maybe this maybe this news makes David and Joku's value go up a little bit and and maybe the guy that we should be focusing on maybe not so much in in football guys players championship twenty round formats but in FFPC best balls um, is is Corey Coleman. I mean this is a guy that was going in the twenty fifth twenty sixth round. Maybe he's the starting receiver uh, opposite uh, um, Jarvis Landry. And it, it, you know while Josh Gordon's out, we don't know how long that's going to remain. So if you're drafting right now, I mean, I think you got to look at Coleman after the 20th round for sure. Yeah, I would actually, if I can jump in, Eric, I would actually wholeheartedly agree. We've we've actually always liked Coleman. We had him on a lot of teams last year, and you know his career's got off to a little bit of a rocky start with some injuries and uh, some inconsistent quarterback play that Cleveland's had. But I think Tyrod's going to stabilize that offense with Todd Haley running the you know coordinating it, and if if Gordon is gone for any amount of time, I think Coleman steps in and I mean, he's, he's got talent, he's got ability. It's just a matter of, can they, can they get it out of him? So I, I think you're really onto something there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the thing is like Coleman is, is a pedigree guy. I mean, he was, I don't think, was he a first or a second round pick? I know he was right up there. Um, yeah, probably, I think he was, I think he was a second round, second round. Yeah. Uh, because Cleveland drafted him. They, they obviously didn't take him, you know, early in the first round. But, yeah, second-round pick, a pedigree guy. A guy, as far as dyn- the FFPC dynasties go, was, was the one-on-one in a lot of drafts. So yep. uh, I think there's something there. And I think, you know, when you can get him, like you said, Michael, at, at, at the price he's going right now, uh, you, you, you know, it, it's time to jump in with, uh, with Corey Coleman for sure. Uh, with all the football guys drafts that you guys have done, uh, so far, this, this first half of the summer, as we well, we're really getting cranked up for the final month of summer, I guess. Michael, are there any trends that that you know high stakes drafters should be paying attention to that are maybe a little bit more prevalent this season than in 2017? I think of you know all the running backs that are going in the yeah. first round. It, it's been a while since yeah. we've seen something like that. It, you know, talk a little bit about that and, and anything else you think uh, that you and Justin have come across that you noticed. 
Yeah, and you kind of already hit on it. I mean, I, I kind of chuckle because it's almost a wiffle ball question because it's it's absolutely is the running backs. Um, I think even more specifically, I mean, you're obviously seeing you know sometimes ten running backs come off the board in the first round, um, but even more so than just that is, I would take it one step further and say the rookie running backs. Um, you're seeing guys like Penny, Geis, Freeman, Jones. They're all coming off the board third, fourth round, and I think it's an overreaction personally to what Kamara, Hunt, Fournette, you know, McCaffrey, and any to a lesser extent Cook did last year. And it, it's it's kind of a chuckle to me because it's like almost an expectation that, oh, you're a rookie running back, you're highly touted out of college, you're just going to come in, assert yourself in the lineup, and it's just a guaranteed 1,500 yards. So I, I think that's one of the trends this year more so than anything is maybe that pendulum swinging a little bit heavy in the direction of the rookie running backs. Yeah, and I mean, you, you obviously mentioned the, the pedigree guys that went in the first and, and, and second round, but, I mean, I, I think a, a poster child uh, for that is, is maybe Royce Freeman, a guy who, you know, went in the mid-third round, is being yep. drafted in, like, the fifth and sixth rounds. I saw him go, I think, in, a, in the third round of a draft the other night. So, I mean, even he is getting up there right now with, with the hype. Let's, let, Michael, let, let's talk about that a little bit because – Obviously, you don't want to overdraft these rookie running backs. Sure. Um, you you want to get them at the right price. Is there anybody between? And we'll take Barkley out of the equation. But is there anybody um, among you know Penny or Jones or um, you know even you know we'll bring in Freeman or Michelle? Is there any of these um, rookie running backs that that you think is you know going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, whatever it is? That, that you're happy with there, that that I, that is a good value, that you think are, is going to return that type of value? Yeah, so so for me, there's really two guys, but but more specifically one. And I'll, I'll touch on the first. And I do like Sony Michelle uh, just in that New England offense, if you can get him at the right price. The problem that I'm seeing is the price is just still way too steep for me because I'm seeing him come off the board, you know, right around the turn of, of the third into the fourth. He's going like 4-2, four, 4-3 four, in a lot of drafts. I just can't do him there. If he's trickling in, we did end up grabbing him towards the end of the fifth round in one draft, and I feel like you're starting to get better value at that point. Um, the But the main one, really, that I feel is flying under the radar, there's all the talk about Geis, there's all the talk about Penny, but the guy that's kind of flying under the radar for me is Carrion Johnson. Um, you know, being here local to Detroit, I obviously get a little bit more of the news, you know, what, what the thought process is, what Bob Quinn's trying to do you know, with the offense, they didn't reach up to grab him, actually take him over Darius Geis, make a trade with New England to bring him in to not get him into some sort of feature role. So, you know, to me, he's one of the last rookies coming off the board. And I, I kind of feel like he might have one of the highest upsides. Now, a lot of football still has to be played, but he seems to be the overlooked commodity for me. And he's been a guy that we've been trying to pick up in the seventh or eighth where we've gotten him a few times there. Yeah, I mean, if you go zero RB to me, that that he he is a great choice for your second running back uh, or even third running back in in the seventh. Well, I guess he'd have to be your second running back in the seventh round or third in the eighth yeah. round. I, I think that's a, that's a good value. We've been talking a lot about that on the high stakes fantasy football hour lately about uh, he, you know just basically what you said about him being overlooked in drafts right now, and I think he does rise. Uh, as we get through preseason, especially if he flashes any big plays uh, for Detroit, I, I think there's the potential that he could rise up a couple of rounds yet. But right now, uh, he is very intriguing at that seventh round uh, draft spot. 
We've been talking about running backs, Justin. Let's let's shift to receivers here. Let's say you're on the clock in the sixth round in the Football Guys Players Championship. You've decided that you made up your mind uh, that you're going to go with the receiver, and the best two available on your board are Michael Crabtree and Sammy Watkins. Which guy would you take uh, between those two? Obviously, there's some stability with, with Crabtree, and there's a lot of upside with Watkins. Who's the guy that you like best there? For me, it's it's Sammy Watkins. It's not close for me. Um, when, I, when I'm breaking down Crabtree versus Watkins, um, I look at Crabtree, 30 years old. It's not ancient, but he's not young. I mean, last year he had 101 targets, and that resulted in 58 receptions, over 600 yards, eight touchdowns. Um, you know, Baltimore is probably going to be a bit run heavy, I would expect. Um, and so I wouldn't expect too much higher out of Crabtree there, which it's not bad at that point in the draft, but... I would prefer the upside in that spot of Watkins. Um, even, I mean, I think we can all agree Watkins was just a disappointment last year. But he, he was hard up, you know, getting traded around, new offense, didn't really get targeted a whole lot. But he still went for 39, 593, and eight touchdowns. So when I put him in what I think is a better offense, um, what I think is a situation where he's not going to be drawing the number one quarterback, probably not getting double teamed a ton because you got Tyreek Hill there, you got Travis Kelsey there. Um, I just like his situation better in that spot of the draft for more upside. We talk- and, and go ahead. I was going to jump in real quick, Eric, and yep. say let, let's not forget that Watkins finally has a full preseason to to work with his team, a full training camp where he was traded right before it to the Rams and had no no chance to really work out with the team, in my opinion. So I just wanted to tack that on. No, that's a great point. And I, and I will say, you know, this is more of like a, a, a dynasty aspect, um, but I think you can apply it for redraft too, as so many dynasty guys like to get, uh, they like to acquire assets that are going to uh, rise in value. And I think if you look at Watkins and Crabtree, one guy is declining in value and one guy just turned 25 years old last month. He's still on the upswing, has not hit his prime yet. And right. I, I think there's something to be said that he's being unfairly penalized a little bit by drafters because not only of a disappointing 2017, but sort of a disappointing career in general, as long as, you know, he was the fourth overall pick or whatever it was. We, we, we expected the sky was the limit for him. And he's just, just let people down almost, almost every single year. So I think that there's a, there's um, an unfair penalty being put him on him for that. So the upside certainly with Watkins makes him uh, a much more delicious option than uh, Michael Crabtree at that, <laughs> right. at that point yeah, in drafts. Agree. Um, okay, so one of the things I, I wanted to bring up with you guys, and this is and this is my fault because this is a poorly worded question that I gave to you about Christian McCaffrey, but Ron Rivera came out this week and said uh, he'd like to get McCaffrey – 25 to 30 touches a game, which, I mean, obviously is not going to happen. And I can't, I cannot believe that Ron Rivera um, honestly believes that that's going to be part of the game plan is, is to try to get, you know, even with McCaffrey putting on this, this extra five pounds of muscle, I can't imagine that he'd want to give McCaffrey the ball 25 to 30 times a game. So let, let's analyze this from a fantasy standpoint. This is great news for McCaffrey that, even though we know he won't get 30, you know, whatever it is, 480 touches over the course of a season, we know he's not going to get that. But the fact that the Panthers are saying this and that they want to make, you know, the head coach is, is, is actively trying to, to get McCaffrey more involved, not only in the passing game, but the rushing game as well. Uh, this has to be very good news, uh, Michael, for anybody who's looking at 
uh, McCaffrey in the second round, maybe to the point where he ascends to to maybe the early second or maybe a late first round pick in certain drafts. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, when I when I see that report from Ron Rivera, all I think is, you know, Riverboat Ron. He's, you know, that's just uh, <laughs> the the male machismo coming through. He's trying to puff up his team and specifically puff up McCaffrey. So we, we kind of know that's a little bit of coach speak more than anything, because like you said, he's not getting 480 touches this year. Now, with that being said, I do think his workload's going to significantly improve from where it was at last year. They obviously shipped Jonathan Stewart out. Um, but they did bring in C.J. Anderson, and there's, you know, that that does tell you that they're not planning on just relying solely on McCaffrey the whole the whole year. Um, as far as his positioning, I mean, yeah, we're seeing him go right around the start of the second to maybe the middle of the second, and I, I think he's probably going to just stay there for the extent of drafts. I I think there's guys right on the cusp of him like Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt that are just going to go a little bit higher due to their overall workload probably being higher um but i i love mccaffrey at the early early part of the second round i think even in one draft we took him right on the snake we had pick 12 and we just said let's go ahead and get it done um i i think he's you know in a ppr format like this he's a he's a high upside guy um i think that offense is going to be kind of focal point through him greg olson's on the downside of his career Devin Funches, I don't think, is a wide receiver one. They draft DJ Moore, but we know rookie receivers never really produce. So who's that offense going through? I mean, you kind of expect it to go through McCaffrey. And we've talked about it before. You're paying for touches and you're paying for volume. And I, I do think the touches will be there. Justin, let me let me pitch this to you about McCaffrey. Is it a good thing? And normally we like running backs that, that are going to score touchdowns. But is it maybe a good thing for a pass catcher like McCaffrey to not only have a big, thick, uh, early down banger and C.J. Anderson ahead of him that could take some goal line, but to have Cam Newton, who's gotten these carries inside the two, inside the three, inside the five-yard line as well, and he's been uh, a rushing threat in there. Is that actually a good thing for McCaffrey's value, that he's not going to be taking that pounding inside the five? Or would you rather have him have the, I mean, I guess this is redraft and not dynasty. Would you rather have him be exposed to those types of hits if you knew he was going to get a few extra touchdowns? Is it good or bad that guys like Anderson and Newton will be joining McCaffrey in the backfield for McCaffrey's fantasy value? I think for me, it, it's a good thing. Um, just personally, when I when I see that, oh, McCaffrey's going to get 25 to 30 touches, that's that's the first thought I have is, is wow. Like, I really, I really hope he's, he's not getting crushed in there during those 25 to 30 touches um, because I think, I think it can be really valuable to not be doing the inside work a lot of the time. And so I, I do like the fact they have C.J. Anderson, Anderson. I think that helps his value personally. Be, assuming Ron Rivera coaches the way I hope he coaches, which is really to use Anderson to take the beating but give McCaffrey as much opportunity as possible – um, if that goes on, then I, I think it's just the perfect scenario for McCaffrey. If it's the kind of thing where it's always C.J. Anderson trotting in to do, uh, you know, half a foot and a cloud of dust whenever they're by the goal line, then obviously not so much. But I, I think in this case, it will be better for his value. Well, one of the things, Justin, let's talk about tight ends a little bit because, uh, and, I'll, and just on a personal note here, I obviously don't play in the FFPC or Football Guys Players Championship because I can't, and it's frustrating because. 
I, I'd like to play in a tight end premium format, and I usually have to scramble every year to, to try try to find a private league that that will let me in to you know enjoy that with and and I get that chance with the dual flex with a tight end premium in a um, project that Football Guys is actually putting together right now. So I, I get to participate in that draft. And one of the things I, I actually have to consider now is how do I handle tight ends in this format? Are you guys, Justin, been trying to get one of the, the big three between Gronkowski, Kelsey, and Ertz? And if you haven't, what's sort of been your strategy uh, to the position in tight end premium formats? Sure. Um, that's actually one of the things that Michael and I appreciate about this format the most. We were chatting about it the other day is how, how tight end is is not just an afterthought because of that 1.5 PPR. So we, we really appreciate that aspect of the format. And because of that, we have been targeting one of the big three, depending on our draft position. If we're in the top third of the draft, we're typically looking at Zach Ertz when it gets back to us. Uh, Kelsey and Gronkowski, we're just not quite as high on. We may or may not be correct uh, to take that stance. But Ertz is really the one that we prefer out of the big three. But we're not willing to give up the players that are usually there in the first half of round two. But uh, definitely Ertz is very much in play in the back half of round two if we're in that position. And if we're not in that position, we're actually really comfortable with quite a few of the tight ends that we've been seeing go from anywhere from round seven to 11, really. Um, I mean, we're, we're pretty high on Kittle. We, uh, we still like Doyle. I mean, it came through for us last year, so why not? Um, and like you mentioned earlier, Njoku, I mean, we've been stacking up quite a bit of Njoku because he's in that round eight, nine area. And we both just think he is one of the most high upside tight ends available this year. And getting him in round eight or nine, once you've already stockpiled other position players, it, we, we think is really solid and could work out really well for us. And, and if Josh Gordon, you know, as long as he's away from the Browns, that Njoku is the red zone target or end zone target on that team. There's not really a, another consistent threat that Cleveland has. So he could end up uh, having a big time 2018 season if it plays out that way. Uh, guys, one more question that you've been very gracious with your time before I let you go. Uh, give us, you know, we've talked about a lot of, uh, of potential busts, potential sleepers thus far. And, Michael, I'm going to let you uh, answer this first, and then, Justin, uh, let, let us know, uh, your two guys. But a guy that you uh, guys feel that is an early round bust this year, a guy that not only um, have you not taken, but a guy that you've been staying away from, uh, you know, specifically and then a player that uh, you guys have actually been targeting maybe in the double digit rounds or in the mid or mid to, to late rounds of football guys drafts that you think is actually going to be very good for fantasy owners this year so as far as the uh, the bust goes i'll just start with darius guys um he is going in the middle of the third round and i'm not saying that he's not going to be effective and he's not going to be part of the washington offense this year i just worry about Chris Thompson still being there. The fact that this is PPR scoring. And when he's coming off the board, I've seen him go as high as like 3-2. He settles in maybe around 3-5, 3-6, 3-7. With the other guys that are on the board at that same level, I, I just don't understand how you can pull him off the board and just say, yeah, chalk up 1,000 yards, 6 to 8 touchdowns, and, and away we go. I, I, just, I just don't see it. And I think with his lack of receiving skills, at least – he didn't really show overly uh, impressive hands in college. Um, I, I think Chris Thompson's still there taking those receiving 
targets away from him. I, 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 as a first and second down primary back, I, I just don't see him returning value. Um, now, on the flip side, I'll, I'll take one of our guys. I'll, I'll leave the other one for Justin. But um, as far as like the mid to late round guys, you know, one of the guys that we were high on really from the start of uh, preseason was Chris Carson. Um, Pete Carroll has always loved Chris Carson. The, the team rallied around him. I think they want to see nothing more than him coming back from a, a, a huge major leg injury last year and and basically produce at a, a high NFL level. Um, now, we've talked about coach speak before, and Pete Carroll is definitely touting him a lot right now, and you don't know how much is that just to motivate Penny and how much of it is really true that, that Carson's been the best player in camp. But you know what? I'll take... I'll take uh, the the risk reward scenario there. If we can get him in, you know, the ninth, tenth, eleventh round, sometimes I'll take that way over Penny in the fourth for a guy that might turn into a timeshare at worst, but maybe take over the backfield. Yeah, and on my end, I would say uh, early round bust. I mean, we touched on him once already. It's just Josh Gordon. I would just avoid him. I, it's just not worth the pick. You're really risking hamstringing your team if you're just immediately out a third or fourth round pick. And also even to go off uh, Mike liking Chris Carson there, I also I can't do it with Rashad Penny uh, late third, early fourth often. And I just can't see the risk-reward scenario paying out there for Penny. It might, but I just don't see it personally. As far as late-round guys that I really like, um, Martavis Bryant, I think, is going to be really solid this year. Assuming he plays, uh, because there was that talk about a possible suspension, and it's just sort of been quiet since then. But even so, I mean, you're getting him round 12, round 13, he ends up getting suspended. He does. But if he plays, I mean, I don't see Jordy Nelson being the true number two in Oakland. I think that's going to turn out to be Martavis as being the number two guy to Cooper out there. And I think he can return massive value. We've seen what he can do in Pittsburgh when he's given a chance. So I think if he gets off on the right foot in Oakland, he could just turn out to be a massive steal in the late part of the draft. I like it, guys. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Some of the, you know, you, you bring up the penny thing. And I look at that team. I feel like it's going to be throwing from behind because the defense isn't what it was. The schedule's not all that great. Uh, you have Chris Carson running in front of Penny uh, right now in, in training camp. And he's a rookie running back that, quite frankly, was not a good pass blocker in college. I think right. there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, and like you said, it could work out. There, there's a very a realistic chance that, he ends up being like a, a top 15 running back this season. However, talk about taking him in the third round. You might want to look elsewhere. And I, so far I have been, and I think you guys have cemented that. You've cemented yeah. a, a lot of stuff on this show today. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. There's been uh, some good fantasy analysis uh, for a, a couple of guys who not only have done a ton of drafts already this year, but coming off a $250,000 win last year. Best of luck to you defending the belt uh, in 2018 and uh, good luck in all your leagues guys I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do the high stakes lowdown this week and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon great thanks Eric appreciate you having us yeah thanks so much Eric our pleasure thank you for listening to the high stakes lowdown a rotoviz podcast brought to you by the fantasy football players championship and thanks to grapes for our theme music Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, 
You can always support the show by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. 